0: Welcome to Everything Just Changed. We are a brand new podcast. I'm Bryce Hales. I'm the pastor of Resurrection OC in Orange County, California. I'm here with my good friend, Brad Edwards, who is the pastor of The Table in Boulder County, Colorado, and we are talking about the ways in which everything has just changed in our world. We're talking about Christianity and how we are living in light of the gospel, seeking to live in light of the gospel in a post Christian post-everything world. And Brad, as we've talked about, one of the realities in our world is Christians have been freaking out for the last you know, number of years because uh, our culture is changing dramatically. And uh, Christians who once saw themselves maybe as the, uh, the majority kind of uh, controlling the um, conversations around uh, morality and power and just uh, uh, occupied positions of influence on our culture are n- now feeling more and more marginalized. And so we've seen, and uh, you and I are kind of younger pastors, and so we've never been in those positions of of sort of influence and authority ourselves, but we're sort of seeing Christians around us uh, just sort of freaking out um, and wondering what in the world is going on. And so we're wanting to ask the question, now what do we do? And then four weeks ago, everything completely globally changed with the uh, onset of the coronavirus. And now what we're seeing is not just uh, Christians um, freaking out, but really a whole world that's freaking out and a, uh, you know, a a secular culture that is freaking out and everybody's asking the question, what do we do now? And so that's what we're seeking to talk about. Uh, How, how do we uh, move forward in this moment that we're living in? And uh, last uh, time in our first episode, we talked about how this massive change that we're living through and the impact of this virus uh, might actually present us with an opportunity. Oftentimes when crisis hits, when uh, suffering, grief enters our lives, um, we kind of batten down the hatches. And we want to make sure that we're protecting ourselves and our family and everybody else sort of on their own. And so we're, we are encouraging this kind of uh, uh, this turn outward and sort of embracing a gospel mindset that seeks to mitigate the uh, impact of this virus, not just on ourselves, but especially for our neighbors, um, our communities, those around us. And, uh, and we, we talked about, um, One of the things that this is exposing is uh, the reality that we have sort of been living um, in a false world uh, for the last several decades. We've been living in this world where it seems like everything's great, it seems like everything's going well, and yet the bubble has just burst. And um, one of the words that uh, we've talked about to describe that is the word secularism. And so, secularism is a well it's it's a topic that a lot of people are talking about now and so we want to dive in today and we want to talk about what do we mean when we talk about secularism so brad um we think about secularism as um you know there's been a lot of books charles taylor uh has been uh, written you know the secular city a very influential book that people who have more time on their hands than i do uh sit down and read these 800 page tomes what what are we talking about when we talk about secularism
1: i think i think it might be even helpful just to acknowledge that uh one of the really unfortunate effects and consequences of the church of the evangelical american evangelical church generally having this kind of culture warrior mindset uh normally when the word secular is used in 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 the church it it's kind of used to describe an antagonism toward the church or a uh, maybe even an aggression toward the church, and that's not what secularism is. I think that can happen it, it sometimes is expressed that way. however, it's really just about um, an identity apart from God, right Secularism attempts to uh, have the fruits of the kingdom but without the king
0: yeah um, I mean Mark sayers is that's the way he's described. Secularism, wanting the fruits of the kingdom without without the king, without God at the center.
1: Yeah, and it would probably be uh, good and right to just give a boatload of credit to uh mark sayers and john mark comer in their this cultural moment podcast because a lot of our own much influenced by the foundation that they've been laying in that absolutely so secularism is uh the pursuit of the fruit of the kingdom apart from a king uh or or maybe even just setting ourselves up as king and um it's this you, you could kind of used as a synonym, you know, post-Christian culture, uh, all of the the whole conversation about the rise of the nuns and everything that the demographic studies and research are looking at in the evangelical church in the U.S. is kind of backing up. So that's...
0: Let's unpack that a little bit. Like, what, what does secularism look like um, because, you know, we, we can th- hear this word, we can, we can think of it as like a, a very sort of theoretical idea. And yet one of the things I really have appreciated about Mark Sayers and John Mark Comers and the, this cultural moment podcast is how they really just put flesh on this. And so, yeah, uh, one of the things that they talk about is that secularism is sort of this idea that we've, we've achieved a certain level of, uh, comfort and we don't need, God to live this way. Like we're all, people are doing just fine without going to church on Sunday, without uh, praying, without reading the Bible. We don't need any of that. Maybe in a, in a, in a earlier time, people didn't really understand um, as much about the way that the world worked, but now life is great and we don't need God at the center of
1: it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's uh, to get deeper below the surface of secularism, that it is, is, is the attempt of pursuing an identity uh, that is apart from God, that is number one, achieved, not received. And so it's on us and on our shoulders. And number two, it is the direction of that identity, like kind of where we source that is where we also source, therefore, our dignity, value, and worth. So in so many ways, it's like mm-hmm. who we are and the value that we have just like on an ontological in our nature kind of level but we have said secularism has functionally said that the christian paradigm is insufficient for uh, an identity in this kind of globalized society and so it's saying i think we can do a better job and we want to do that you know apart from god again and that kind of goes first point of of you know, it's not an antagonism necessarily. It's just an, maybe more of an apathy toward Christianity in the church.
0: Yeah, okay. So l- let's, let's dive into that a little bit more because when, when, you, uh, when we talk about secularism as being the attempt to build an identity apart from God, that's actually not a very new idea, is it? <laughs> nope. <laughs> I mean, this, this goes back to the opening chapters of the Bible, I mean, this really is uh, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve saying uh, we are not going to obey uh, God and eat from all of the good things that he's given us. We 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 have to eat the fruit from this one tree that he has um, drawn a boundary around and said, you know, don't eat of the tree of the fruit of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Um, but we really see this spectacularly right in The Tower of Babel.
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely. It's it's fascinating. Just you know, as a pastor, I'm sure you can resonate with this, Bryce. Like this whole dramatic change in circumstance has shifted uh, my lens in terms of how I understand Scripture in completely new ways. And the Tower of Babel has been one of those that has just been smacking me in the face with this. Um, So in Genesis 11, just to summarize the Tower of Babel narrative, uh, is is God's creation has gone amok, right? Humanity has given God the middle finger in Genesis 3 through Adam and Eve. And then from Genesis 3 all the way through Genesis 10, you have this just constant litany. It just Uh, gets worse and worse. It gets worse and worse. It's it's a spiral, a downward spiral spiral down the the toilet bowl. And uh, it culminates in the flood and with Noah in that narrative. And God promises never to flood the earth again. And then the next thing we have is Genesis 11. In the Tower of Babel, and I'm just—I just want to read a little bit of this, actually, and—and yeah. um, and I'm going to just kind of provide some commentary as we go here. But starting in verse one, check this out. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. Pause. If we can say anything about globalism, it is a an interconnectedness where the lang- the barriers of language and geography have been have been brought down. There are no yeah. longer walls in b- between cultures that has smoothed this out, and that, frankly. Is, is very good, but it also has the effect of making us think we are, you know, maybe our crap doesn't stink. Uh, like, wow, we're really good at this. Um, So verse two, as people migrated from the East, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. Lest we just be dispersed over the whole face of the earth. Let's pause there because this is the crux of what we're talking about. Yeah. Okay, this idea of making a name for ourselves—we've kind of lost an appreciation for this in Western culture, but Middle Eastern culture and Eastern culture, your name was everything. It was your identity. Yes. It was your value and worth. And so, for them to say, "Let us make a name for them for our, ourselves," what they're saying is, "Let us find and source our dignity, value, and worth in what we have done, not what, not God's faithfulness, not what He does." Right. And then they say, "Lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth." The purpose of their having a name for themselves is so that they are not scattered across creation. That seems like okay. Well, sure, yeah, you want to stick together. This is you know near prehistoric, uh, you know, humanity. That might seem wise. However, if you read Genesis one and two and you understand how God's cultural mandate works, and Genesis one twenty six when He says. Um, Go fill the earth and subdue it. He's saying, "Go spread out, go scatter, mm-hmm. go make from the raw materials of creation human society." And they're saying, "No, we still want to rebel. We still yeah, want to." So do- it,
0: it, it's 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 really an inversion of the cultural mandate because what God is saying, because I am God and because uh, my life dwells in you, I want I'm going to spread you out across the earth to fill the earth, make the cultivate the earth, make the earth you know, kind of from the raw material of the earth to build beauty and culture. It's it's the inversion of that, of let's come all together. Let's build a tower to make a name for ourselves because we've turned our backs on God. And so we now need to seek a source of identity out of what we have built for ourselves.
1: Well, And they understood that. And what that, what verse four is an articulation of is that it is impossible actually to do it if we don't build our own identity, that that's actually upstream of this other purpose we have, which is to, to resist, um, what we were created to do. And so just to, to, to make that connection to, to now, right. Um, when we say that secularism is, is a, uh, desire for the fruits of the kingdom without the king, that's exactly what this is. Human progress, to, to build cities, to, to have society, but not under God's reign. And now, and, but, but the, the means of getting there is, I, is the same now as it was in Genesis 11, yeah. to make for ourselves.
0: Yeah. Hey. So let's let's unpack that a little bit. Like, what does that look like? So you're in Boulder County, which uh, you know is very uh, progressive, kind of outdoors oriented. Like, talk tell t- tell me like what is it? Because I'm thinking of the person who's listening to this saying, okay, like I hear what you're saying at a theoretical level, but like I'm not pursuing this secular agenda. Like I'm just trying to uh, put food on the table, provide for my family. Uh, you know, have a nice life. What does that look like in Boulder County?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, well, I think something that's kind of uh, not unique but very particular about our place is you for the most part, uh, you didn't grow up here, right? There are natives here, quote unquote, and native with a capital N, right? So you came here from somewhere else and you, you came here in order to pursue whatever your definition of the good life was, right? Right. So lifestyle, uh, yeah. image, you, wanted, you didn't just want to ski, you want to be the kind of person who skis. In mm-hmm. a lot of ways, that's a language of name. And so Boulder County really attracts and resonates with people who are trying to make a name for themselves through their image and through their lifestyle. And that's not necessarily like an explicit thing, because that sounds really shallow as I'm describing it. I don't think very many people actually are doing that consciously however it is when you look at this place from afar in many ways that is the thing you long for mm. is to have that image or to have that name to to have all the things associated with that and so um in Boulder County, is it's hyper-spiritual, right? This is not a secular in the sense of being um, like a religious or not religious. It's very, very spiritual and a very religious place. It's just, it's interwoven into that lifestyle and that image that people want, which is to be highly inclusive, to be highly tolerant and to not leave anybody out, which let's just say for now, that's actually... Yeah and, there's there's a lot of good in that. Yeah and that's what I love about this place is it is it's it's very aspirational but in some ways a little bit naive um ironically yeah. and 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 very privileged as well. So yeah. Yeah so I think the way that 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 fleshes out is is basically like I just want to have the the progressive american dream right i just Mm want to have kids and be in community and that community be walkable and to drive a prius and an suv (laughs) and if they can be like an electric suv and tesla that's even better um but like it's an people are often here as a way of escape from closed-mindedness and restrictions and so um maybe one way to to kind of describe the very particulars of that is I think two things are probably primary here is uh, an idea of limitless freedom that uh, I will be satisfied and I will have a name for myself so I or I can have my dignity value and worth if I have limitless freedom Um, and number two if if I have opportunity for expressive individualism Mm. right if I am able to express my individuality without fear of judgment and without fear of uh, constraint or being muted in some way then ah, therefore i'll feel happy in many ways it's a carrot on a stick like the rest of secularism. Yeah. and and so. what you just said there then i'll be happy
0: like that is sort of the crowning good um which again going back to genesis 11 let us make a name for ourselves that's the highest goal there in some ways what you're describing is uh things it's not that the substance of it is Is evil necessarily, and yet um,
1: it's without reference to God. The highest good is my own personal happiness. Absolutely. Well, and and to add on to this, like this is I'm not describing something that is about all those bad non Christians out there outside the church, right? That is the common denominator for Christians who Mm -hmm. move here too. Like it's. I, you probably experienced this a little bit in California too, when somebody's like, you know, like, Oh, you are just visiting my church. I'm, you just moved here. Oh, wow. That's so great. You know, what, what brought you here? I'm sure, you know, you got hired here, but why did you want to move here in the first place? You know? And, and every once in a while, I'll have somebody say something along the lines of like, you know, I just, ah, mm, you know, I just, I just really felt like God was calling us out here. And in that moment, I'm like, yeah, have you, you've probably skied out here. So of course he's, (laughs) I love living out here. Of course, like, like God's, God's actually going to call you into places that are, are not selfish and not about like your pursuit of a lifestyle. It's actually about loving your neighbors yourself. That's what he's going to call you to. I'm not saying you shouldn't have moved out here, but I'm saying like, don't confuse that with God's calling. Like, yeah. Well, Hey, that's fascinating
0: to hear you describe kind of secularism in Boulder County. One of the big like epiphanies that I feel like I've had in the last Six months or so, and some of this was actually listening to Mark Sayers and John Mark Comer on uh, the this Cultural Moment podcast, talking about secularism. And one of, the, in in my mind, I tend to think of secularism as a as a kind of progressive, urban. Um, sort of lifestyle and where i'm a pastor in orange county california um, orange county you know is stereotypically very affluent very materialistic and uh, tends to lean to the right side of the political spectrum Mm -hmm. and so you would think on the surface of it well not a very secular place and yet so many of the um the things that you just described Um, resonate with what I experience of life in Orange County. Even though they look very different, they're secular in the sense that the goal is the same. And so um, I I live in this uh, neighborhood. It's a master plan community and when they first built this uh community in the early 2000s the the marketing uh language around why should you live in this community uh it was this idea of roots and wings and and um uh, there's this quote that's on everything that said, uh, there are two lasting bequests we can hope to give our children. One is roots and the other is wings. And it's this idea of we want our kids to grow up in a place where they are deeply rooted, where they are known, where they're from a place, where hmm. you know they have neighbors who know them. Um, and yet we also want to give them wings where they have every opportunity. And after five years of living here, what I have experienced is that we're all about the wings and there are no roots whatsoever because it's this pursuit of every opportunity. You know, we, we can't hold anything back from our children. And so we're kind of driving ourselves into the ground with activities, uh, night after night after night. Uh, so the, 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 like the highest good for people here is to be able to work from home. You know, I don't have to go into the office anymore. I can work from home. So I have both the material, you know, kind of affluence uh, to live uh, this sort of lifestyle, um, but also the freedom to pursue it purely on my own terms.
1: You know, it's almost like you can build a tower to make a conservative or a progressive name for yourself. Exactly. Yeah, it's interesting. I really appreciated how... Like I feel like we kind of hold our own, each other's ministry experiences up to each other, and it's a, we're more able to see uh, clearly because uh, there are are such similar roots, but very different expressions. And uh, I I don't know. Tell me what you think about this. Maybe this is just a you know hot take here as we're sitting here processing. It feels like uh, the expression of secularism in my place is primarily and especially spiritual and social and the secularism of your place is primarily materialistic and economic
0: yeah i would agree with that yeah yeah it's um here it's 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 economic because i mean frankly the government says that the poverty line is $84,000 a year so it, um if you're not making a whole lot of money you're not going to be able to afford to live the good life Uh, in Orange County. Um, But what that economic freedom, if you have achieved it, allows you to do is drive a nice car, live in a big house, go out to eat all the time, go on great vacations. Um, So it's it's experienced in that sort of material prosperity and comfort.
1: Man. Um,
0: So... I was going to say, why don't, why don't we why don't we see if we can uh, turn the corner here? Because what we what we really wanted to talk about is how everything has just changed in our lives, and um, and and how maybe that is an opportunity. It's not just something to be lamented, um, though. Of course, there's a good place for lament and for um, healthy processing of grief in the midst of this. Uh, what yeah. opportunity, um, given the Realities that we're um, in the Western Hemisphere, at least living in this uh, secular age where everybody's basically freaking out, whether you're left, right, center, whatever, everybody's freaking out about something. And then the coronavirus hits and we're exiled in our homes for going on four weeks now. Everybody's freaking out. What opportunities does that reality present? To secular people
1: man you know I, I kind of want to start in a place that I actually wonder if so you, you've, you've used the word anxiety a lot it uh, just as, as we've been talking in this episode and I think I've, that's I've been experiencing it a lot so that's exactly where I want to start actually is is just how much as we're sitting here talking about secularism, this is not like, for those of you who are listening, Bryce and I are not approaching this from a place of like, we know what the answer is, but from a place of like, oh my gosh, what do we do with this? Like, how do we wrestle with this ourselves? Because I don't know if, if a pastor in the midst of this, is not experiencing some fear of, or if they don't, if they tell you they're not experiencing some kind of fear of irrelevancy or like not being needed in their role as a pastor right now, like they're lying to you. Yeah. Okay. Um, th- this this is anxiety producing for everybody, and there's legitimate and just genuine suffering that is happening as a result of this outside of this conversation. But secularism makes this worse. Like it actually makes it harder mm-hmm. because what we were talking about earlier of it, defining it as kind of the, the pursuit of uh, a kingdom without a king or desiring the fruit of that kingdom without living underneath that king and as mm-hmm. part of a citizen of that kingdom. If that's the case, what this global pandemic has done has yanked the rug out of, out from underneath both conservative and progressive flavors of secularism. However, you define it, because all of those idols, all of those things that we used to think it would would provide for us a name, our dignity, value, and worth, has now been castrated and rendered pretty much utterly unsatisfying, or at at best something we are we are waiting to indulge in again. And so, in the midst of this, yes, when our idols are disturbed and upset, pastors included, that produces anxiety yeah. it, and it attribute to or exaggerate the anxiety that we're experiencing right now for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so you're saying that the sense of um, anxiety that many of us are feeling, ourselves included, is, is not maybe the problem, but it's the symptom that there is something deeper uh, that is amiss with the way that we've been living.
1: We were already an anxious society, right? We've never been a more medicated society. Uh, We've never had more therapists per capita. Now I would tell you uh, as a, I'm a huge fan of counseling, and I think people should see a therapist. I think that's a very good thing. I'm saying absolutely. I'm saying we should also recognize that people are feeling the need for it far more than they ever have before. In uh, since we've been recording those things, this global pandemic just introduced and injected nitrous into that anxiety. Into that system, yeah. and secularism is insufficient as a system for understanding what the hell is actually happening right now, and how do we respond to it? Because it roots our identity, our value, and worth in in our circumstance, on anything earthly, and on yeah. any scene. Uh, there's a guy in our our church. Uh, he's a former professor at, at from Covenant Seminary. His name's Ken Harris. He's an amazing human being, and he has I've been talking with him a lot about this idea of. Helping our people understand, see the difference between putting our hope in the seen versus the unseen, right? And this mm. comes from Paul in Romans 8 and talking about hope is in things not seen, right? Our, if our hope is in, the cre- in creation, in the created world, in eating from the tree of the good, good and evil, of knowledge of good and evil, uh, of building a tower for the sake of our name, if our hope is in this earthly thing, when that hope is disrupted, we are going to experience anxiety we should because we're not wired for that. And it's not a, a suf- sufficient or satisfying place to put our hope. We have to put our hope in the unseen. Yeah, that does absolutely explained at least the root of our anxiety, even that that gets layered on top of the just the universal human pain and suffering that's happening right now on just on top of everything else.
0: Yeah. So the anxiety is a symptom that there's a greater problem. And that's that's being just unmasked and highlighted like crazy uh, because of the coronavirus crisis which is a gift even though it's difficult it's hard <laughs> it's not easy to live through yeah uh, i'm wondering and I, i'm just sort of wondering if we can flesh this out in light of genesis 11 the tower of babel as sort of the earliest example of secularism which has really like f- uh, flourished and, and f- taken root in western society in the last several decades um and now is um as we're as we're experiencing this crisis we're seeing how how many how futile that is mm-hmm. um you know one of the things when we when we look at acts two um that we we will always talk about in a, in a sermon on sunday is how when the holy spirit comes and the apostles, uh, are speaking in tongues. Uh, it's really an undoing of the curse of the tower of Babel where the languages of the people are scattered. Um, uh, or the languages confused. The people are scattered to the ends of the earth. Now, uh, the Holy spirit comes and through the supernatural work of God's spirit, um, the, the gospel message is able to go out to people who don't speak the same languages. How, help me, tie this together like how does that how is that good news to us in this moment
1: man um if you go back to genesis 11 uh and verse 7 uh god says come let us go down there and confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech so the lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city Therefore, its name is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from thereafter, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. We understand Acts 2 and, and Pentecost as, as the, the undoing of Babel. The reason why that happens, like we can talk about the implications, but the reason why that happens is because this people of every tribe, tongue, and nation has been given a new name it's all about union with Christ. It's all about the identity that we've been handed by Jesus because of his life, death, and resurrection. That covenant and and being caught up in his name is is how we actually receive our name, our dignity, value, and work, Mm -hmm. because that is something that has happened outside of us it's the unseen it's the king doing that it means that the curse can be actually undone because that point in human history that this that that moment has happened that redemption has happened means that our coming back together can be unified under the name we have been received that we have received not the one that we have achieved and so that is what is distinctly both different about uh uh, why why secularism is incompatible with Christianity fundamentally, but it's also the hope we have in the midst of this because if we have that name, it means that no matter who we are or how we're processing this 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 global pandemic, we are, we are connected by that. And we don't have to like, like Christians don't have to spend their time in the midst of this worrying about how do I know I'm okay in an ontological sense and in a sense of our identity because that has been gifted to us and we Mm -hmm. can actually move faster toward loving our neighbors ourselves because that question has been answered by Jesus.
0: Yeah. 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 So secularism going back to tower of Babel is trying to make a name for ourselves. And, um, and interestingly, I think this is, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it's worth noting that, you know, in traditional cultures, um, you still have to make a name for yourself. It's just through a membership in the tribe, um, through sacrificing yourself for the good of the community, that you make a name for yourself in traditional uh, societies. So Christianity is not saying, hey, reject secularism, go back to this more traditional way of living. Uh, both traditional and secular societies say you've got to make a name for yourself in what you do. Christianity is unique in the sense that a name is given to you and really this is what baptism is about right yeah. that, that when that when we're baptized uh you are baptized into the name of the father son and holy spirit it's god putting his name upon you giving you an, an identity not based on what you have done but based on the grace that he has given us in christ
1: absolutely and and just to add to that a little bit the even in traditional traditional cultures where your name is discovered or found or, or or earned in a sense through your association like your family name even then there is this kind of shame driven pressure to be to be worthy of that name yeah so so what the way the gospel is different about that is if that name is given to you not by your being worthy of it or or being contingent upon it but it's actually contingent on Jesus is being worthy of it, then it is by grace. And there therefore is no burden for you to be worthy of it, to earn it in an achievement sense. The receiving of it is literally all that is required. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I wonder if we can maybe even uh, try to wrap up with this, but I'm, I'm looking at acts two and kind of, again, asking that question of what, what is the opportunity that this moment uh, presents us with and um, Acts two, you know, the Holy Spirit comes, um, fills the apostles. They're all they're speaking in tongues, and they begin to speak. And it says, because of this time, there the were in Jerusalem Jews who were devout men from every nation under heaven. They all spoke different languages and when they saw what was happening the holy spirit through the apostles they come together and the people were amazed because they heard every uh, each one heard them speaking the gospel in his own language hmm. and so it's this gathering together of the church out of every tribe and language and nation based not on what humans are doing but what the holy spirit is doing through them and i wonder if the the opportunity that uh, one of the opportunities that this moment is presenting us to is will the church rise to the occasion? Will we actually live out of the identity that we have received from God? And what Acts 2 is telling us is that that's when people turn around and say, what is going on? Yeah. It's not when we do something really impressive. Uh, We finally figure out this incredible strategy to just do amazing ministry because we've finally figured out the algorithms and the programs and all of that. And people are going to be amazed. It's when uh, we live out of the identity that God has given us that the world around turns and says, wow, what is going on there?
1: Yeah. I wonder if a way to like root this really practically for gosh, for all of us is what would you do if you knew that nothing you did could ever affect the infinitely esteemable value you have before God. Mm. What would you do with the freedom of having a dignity, value, and worth that is utterly so secure, a name that is secure that you don't, that it is written in the book of life, that there is nothing that can tarnish it? What would you do if you were freed from any self-concern? How would you sacrifice? How would you love? How would you care? How would you not give a rip about getting credit for any of it? How, How would that change the way that you are processing uh being this safer at home order or uh quarantine how would you process like how would that free you from the anxiety of of secularism that it just that that we are all uncritically carrying around as a as a anxiety inducing pressure to perform or achieve our way to to value and being lovable like what would you do differently that is the freedom that, it, and, and you see that in, at Pentecost, you see that in Acts 2, as soon as the Holy Spirit alights on people, they are proclaiming the goodness and the mercy of God, and, and that is the beginning of this explosion of the church across the Roman Empire. Yeah. I think, think we're in a similar moment. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I think the, the, the power, I think it's an incredible question of what would you do? If you actually experience that freedom, but the real power and what we're seeing in Acts 2, and maybe this is what God might bring out of this is, is it's not just one individual here and there isolated doing this. It's communities of people living in light of the reality of who God is and the identity he's given them together. Yeah. Wow, what an opportunity. Yeah. You know, times like this present us with an opportunity to step back and perhaps to recognize that we've been trying to live a life where we are at the center and we're looking for something that we can never truly find apart from God. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks so much for joining us. This is the second episode of Everything Just Changed. We are a brand new podcast. We would love it if you'd subscribe. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts now. And while you're at it, please leave us a review, which will just help others find this resource as well. We'll be back next week when we'll be talking about the reality that it's often in the midst of crisis that we experience God's presence. So please join us for that. I'm Bryce Hales with my friend Brad Edwards. Our theme music was recorded by Kevin McLeod and used under a Creative Commons license from filmmusic.io. We'll be back next week on Everything Just Changed.